today is going to be a fun day because I have asked Desra uh, to come and join me on stage uh, for um, a conversation. I I think Desra people um, people. There's parts of you that they just don't know. You're up, you sing every week, but they don't, they don't know all the shades, all the colors, all the parts of Desra. So I just thought today, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're talking about hope this month. And um, wow, the Lord has just really dropped this subject of hope um, in my heart uh, because as I interact with people and even myself, I realize how, how difficult it is to maintain hope right now. Um, that just feels like the last few years just piled on one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and, um, and I feel like as I've read scripture, the Lord has shown me that we as his people are called to be people of hope. And yet, Really, when I survey the church world, I don't think that hope is what I necessarily see. You, Desert, you grew up in church. You grew up around church. Um, what has been the story of hope? Tell us about hope and faith and how you kind of grew up in church and how has faith and hope and all of that been a part of your growing up years growing up in the church? Something that I remember hearing growing up that always really rubbed me the wrong way was when people would say, well, all we can do is pray. And I would think, what? Like, seems like that should be the first thing we can do. And honestly, sometimes it's okay if it's the only thing we do. Um, obviously, God asks us to, to act sometimes, but it should be the first thing. And I hate that phrase, all we can do is pray. No! We pray. We pray. And it's funny because I did grow up in a home where there was a lot of faith. There was a lot of faith. Um, faith for healing, faith for finances, faith for anything. But um, it just always struck me funny that that, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. Instead of we get to pray, we right. can pray. We right. have access to pray. Well, last week we were talking about hope sort of introduced this idea of hope and I, I made the statement is it possible that life circumstances culture and even religion creates cages that rob us of hope and and statements like that well all we can do is is pray uh, being in a being in the church and around the church and being people of faith and that being the religion that being the sort of the religious, Response: Well, all we can do is all we can do is pray. It, it seems it seems odd, and it seems like those other things—life, circumstances, culture—have become cages for people that minimizes our spirituality, that 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 minimizes our faith. I I get to be in your life every day <laughs> for twenty-seven years, and. One of the things that um, I love about you and that I get to witness every day is your prayer life and your commitment to uh, discipline in the area of your prayer. And every day uh, you take out a journal and you write. 
and you write your prayers. We've gone through some stuff in 27 years. We've gone through circumstances. Um, we've gone through circumstances that we couldn't control. How has, how has your daily discipline of prayer, of journaling, how has that carried you through all of this? How have you lived with me for 27 years? What's in those journals anyways? <laughs> Do not read the Swaziland years. <laughs> of names of people. It's a lot of your names and your family's names and your friends and your children. Just friends at home and their children. And um, people are walking through some stuff. I love to journal it because I love to go back. Two years ago, we prayed for a building. Yesterday when we were making dinner, I don't know if you noticed, but when you came in at one point, I was crying. I was crying because I remembered when we were healed, when we were living in Swaziland. And the whole story had been playing over in my head, and we'll have to tell that story someday. But I love journals because you can go back and you can see what God has done. And a couple of years ago, whenever the Holy Spirit spoke to me that we needed to be praying audacious prayers, maybe some of you listened, and maybe you're writing them down too. Maybe you've got those audacious prayers going. But when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me, it lit a fire under me. I always believed when I prayed. I mean, I believed. I have literally prayed for people to come back to life. They haven't done it yet, but I believed they would. These audacious prayers, you know, one by one, we're, we're knocking them off the list. Some of them are big, guys. Some of them are hard. Some of them we don't talk about. Some of what you are going through is hard. It's big. And these prayers seem crazy. But last week when you were talking about, you put the picture of the cage, and instantly this wave of sometimes the enemy has made it to where when we pray, we're in a cage, and we can't see how to pray outside of this cage. We only see an answer that we can see in the natural, and maybe I'm skipping the notes, but this cage, it was, it kind of took my breath, because so many times when we pray, that's how we pray. God, you can do it in this. This is how you can do it. He wants to open the door. open the door and that's what these audacious prayers have been some of them are crazy prayers some are still crazy prayers some of them it's been two years and it's still crazy prayers some of them have been marked off I have a whole column for audacious healing some of you are on it have a whole column for audacious surrender. You have people in your life that need to surrender, who need to surrender. That's what's in the journals. <laughs> a 
Last week we read Romans 5, 6, and 8. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, that idea of powerlessness is exactly um, what I felt like God was trying to talk to us about, how, how we've embraced that cage We've embraced the powerlessness of the cage or, as you mentioned, sort of the limitations of the cage. Like, I can only pray this far, but the, the, the barrier's there. I can't go beyond that barrier. And, and you talked about what sort of bothered you growing up. One of the things that always bothered me was how it is that we can believe God for our eternal salvation but we can't believe right. God for help with our finances next week. We can believe God. Um, we believe in hell and heaven and that God is going to uh, save us from hell, but we can't believe him to heal our child. Like that, like that struck me. What, what, a weird, what a weird limitation, what a weird mental cage that we live in. And yet the gospel... What the gospel proclaims is that this power of Christ really is the power to open the door of the cage, not just for eternity, but for now, for impossible situations, for jobs, for marriages, for our kids, for things that seem uh, beyond. I, I remember growing up... Um, you grew up in much, your parents were cool Christians. You, you guys grew up in a much cooler church than I did. But we like, we sang, uh, I still grew up in a church that had those hymn books. And I know you grew up singing these hymns. But I've, the whole time preparing for this series, I keep coming back to, some of you will recognize the lyrics of this song as soon as I begin to read it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, I can barely read it without going into, on Christ the solid. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. Like I, I remember like singing that um, hymn growing up and just what it, what it embedded in me. And it, as a kid, caused me to really have audacious faith because if my life is built on Christ, what, what are impossibilities? Hope, we said this last week, hope is an assurance of the impossible made possible by a power not limited by my limitations. Hope is made possible Hope is the assurance of the impossible made possible by a power not limited by my limitations. And I just wonder how many times we as Christians embrace limitations that aren't real. Talk about that. Well, remind 
needed. It's been, I don't know, I think we were still in the other building. And I had, I was speaking during worship, and I was mentioning that the Holy Spirit had been speaking to me during a prayer time. And I was praying, and I actually said the words, Lord, I don't even have recommendations for you right now. And then I laughed out loud. I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm approaching my prayer life with recommendations on how the Lord can do his work. But how many times do we do that? How many times are we in the cage because it's all we can see? Mm. My prayer for us, you know, before church we were praying during soundcheck. Let the scales fall off of our eyes because there is nothing more than the enemy wants than for us to have scales over our eyes about how we can even pray. How dare he? How dare he? Take the scales off the off of our eyes so that we can have vision for how we can pray. You guys will go to that next slide. I, that statement I just said is is on that next slide hope is an assurance of the impossible made possible by a power not limited by my limitations and you you mentioned that Desiree about the scales being on our eyes and how the limitations exist and I love what you said uh, of that story and I remember when you told me that story about you not having any suggestions for God (laughs) Hope, um, hope, biblical hope, is really an act of humility. And I think that's what, like, I think that's what we, we don't get. I think that's what, that's where, where we miss it, is because the kind of hope the Bible talks about, the kind of hope that manifests itself in an active prayer life, really has to be rooted in humility. And when you come to the place where you say, God, I don't even have any suggestions for you, it causes you to realize how much pride actually exists in your life. Let's, let me ask you an honest question. Don't answer out loud. Just, you know. Like how many, how many of us, our prayer life is entirely a list of suggestions for God? And then we get frustrated when we're like, oh, God, I've, I've made all these suggestions to you, and they haven't worked out. <laughs> Is it possible that the cage could be your suggestions? That the limitation of your prayer life, of my prayer life, the limitation of hope that exists in our life is our our inability to figure it all out, and so we can't pray beyond our ability to figure it all out. Think about that for a second. My prayer life is really my list of how I've got it figured out, and perhaps what Paul is talking about in Romans when he's talking about life in the Spirit and uh, when he kind of moves us into this idea that we are to be people of the spirit and and not people of the law and not have it all figured out is into this idea of praying outside of the cage or praying outside of my ability to figure it out 
you made a statement when we were talking this week and, and getting ready for this. You said, our lack of hope is actually a lack of trust. What do you mean by that? I think when we don't hope in something, it's because we don't have faith in it. We don't have faith that it's going to happen. And the reason that a lot of times we don't have the faith is because we don't even trust that he can really do it. Well, if you don't trust him to do it, if you don't trust that he can do it, then how are you ever going to have the faith? How are we ever going to have the hope that he will? And going back to your statement earlier, it's so interesting that as believers, and I would say probably most of us in this room are believers. I would not say all. I don't know. But for those of us who are, it makes no sense to believe him for our salvation to not believe him for the rest of it. Some of it, you know, I mean, there's the story in the Bible when Jesus healed the man and then he said, you're, you're, you've been made whole of your sins. And they had no problem with him saying that. What they had a problem with was his healing them. Mm. Well, which one's easier? We're still doing it today. I don't, well, I don't have a problem with you saving me. I don't have a problem with you forgiving me of, of my sins. But, there's no way you can do that. Yeah, we, um, if you guys probably, probably have noticed, I've, I've kind of camped us out, and, I, and, I, and I'll go away, but I keep coming back to the book of Romans um, because I, I really believe the Lord is embedding within us an understanding, and I'm trying to, I feel like we need to raise our biblical literacy around Romans because it's so key. So we, we talked through, you know, Romans 5 last week and Romans 8. And and there's this whole conversation. If you keep going into Romans 12, and I want to read from Romans 12 uh, today. And we know Romans 12 has some different themes. But as you get into Romans 12, and Paul's kind of already introduced this idea of life in the Spirit. It's a theme for him. And that's how we really uh, are able enabled to live this life of hope and faith. And he gets into this section on Really real faith will be exhibited through a life of love. I mean, that's how you, that's how you know. And that, that's the problem with other religions of the world is no inward transformation takes place. But in this, in this work, because it's a work of the Spirit, transformation can take place. And the way you're going to know that, Romans 12, really becomes manifested in this life of love. And he gets into this section of talking about how we'll know love is at work. And then he says this. When he's talking about this whole living a life of love, he says, never be lacking in zeal, Romans 12, 11 and 12, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So in this whole section about how you really know if you're following Christ is that this inward transformation is going to happen in you. You're going to be able to live a life of love. And he's talking to people who are, again, these are people who are going through persecution. Life is terrible for them. Like, I know, I understand many of us are facing huge economics problems right now. These people were facing poverty beyond our ability to comprehend. They were facing rejection their lives were literally at risk because of their faith and all of that he says you gotta you gotta love people 
And in the middle of that, he says, never be lacking in zeal. How, how do you never lack in zeal when your life is literally under threat? How do you keep your spiritual fervor when you're worn out? These people were hiding. They were having to hide to protect their lives. Serve the Lord in light of all of this. Be joyful in hope. So in other words, be joyful, have hope, even when you're in poverty, even when you're in lack, even when your life is at risk, even when everything is falling apart, even when you can't see God at work. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Paul sort of kind of has this uh, formula for hope. He repeats it in other places. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, he says, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul always, he has this sort of formula where he links hope, perseverance, and prayer. Like those things seem to come together and he repeats it when in the letters that he writes to the church as as we rehearse our needs before God we gain the resilience to to reframe our realities as we pray hope is birth so we can persevere if you've walked through a lot talk to us about persevering maintaining hope in spite of your circumstances and what's going on Uh, if you know me or if you follow me online, I definitely from time to time talk about feelings and we don't get to we don't get to behave according to our feelings. You just don't. <laughs> feelings lead us astray. And so we have to know what we know here. And Sometimes you don't feel like praying. I know I am not the only one in this room who sometimes doesn't feel like praying. But if it's our habit, it's okay. It's okay if we're opening our Bibles and opening our journals out of habit. Mm. We should never feel guilty for that. We should never feel ashamed because when we're doing this because we need to do it. Because God works in those moments. Because we're not always going to feel like it. You don't always feel like treating someone with kindness. You don't always feel like cooking dinner. You don't always feel like doing things, but we just have to suck it up, buttercup, and do it, right? It's that, it's that habit. Don't let the habit go. And the pray without ceasing, I did not like the masks. I've never liked the masks. But one thing that was nice about the mask, y'all, if you saw me out in public, you didn't know it, but I was praying in the spirit. With the mask on, nobody knows. And I'm just going all over the city, just praying, you know, in the store, whatever. There's this beautiful thing about praying in the spirit, and we didn't really talk about this. But I do want to challenge you. We, we were challenged back in April by one of our leaders to pray in the spirit for 10 minutes every day. And at first you think, well, that's not very much. I can do that. Have you ever tried? Have you ever timed yourself? And, um, you know, she was like, you, you work up to it. Work up to 30 minutes. And I thought, man, okay, what kind of person can't pray in the spirit for 10 minutes? It's a lot longer than you think, y'all. But the Lord moves. I, I was so, I've been talking with my uh, growth track partners. 
a growth partners. How arrogant of us that we think we know what to pray all the time. How arrogant of us. And so spend that time. There are days where I don't know what to pray. I have no idea what to pray. I don't even maybe feel like praying. But the Spirit does it for us. And he knows exactly what needs to be said. And the beautiful thing about it is it can be constant. It's constant. It's not, have I said this right or have I done this right? It's a constant flow of of the Holy Spirit praying what needs to be prayed. And it's a beautiful thing. And I cannot even begin to tell you the cage door that's unlocked since I was challenged to do that. And so I want to challenge each one of you to do that because can you imagine what's going to happen if all of us are doing that every day? Yeah, you, you highlighted a couple of things, and I don't, I don't want us to miss them. First, you talked about the discipline of prayer mm-hmm. and how, how making prayer a discipline in your life moves you through the seasons when you feel like it and you don't feel like it. You and I talk about it a lot. We laugh about it a lot. Um, as, as, as we've gotten older, <laughs> there's certain uh, levels of health and and uh, things in our life that when we were when we were younger, we could eat what we want, we could stay up as late as we want, we could do a lot of things. But as we've gotten older, to maintain uh, the level of health that we want, uh, we've had to we have to use restraint. There are things that we do out of acts of discipline, uh, not necessarily what we want, and that's that's maturity. Yeah, I think, I think for a lot of us, um, it, it, it's really, it's really difficult to understand that uh, a prevailing faith, a persevering faith, really is a disciplined faith. Uh, we're taught to respond to our feelings. I talked about it in the last series. Our world is built around triggering our feelings, but really, faith has. So little to do with feelings. That's the story of the faith of God's people. If you read the Bible, if you'll read it for what it says, for what it actually says, it's people who are acting counter to their feelings, counter to their reality, continuously through acts of discipline. Their faith was really manifest in their discipline. Um, and then, and then, secondly, you talked about praying in the Spirit and how. Uh, that praying in the spirit really opens the door. It moves us beyond the cage. If if I'm realizing that my prayer life is limited, I don't know what to pray or how to pray, uh, then I need to switch over and I need to pray in the spirit. If I don't have enough imagination uh, for what God can do, then I need to pray in the spirit because it moves me beyond my limitations. It, it moves me beyond my flesh. Well, I want to I want to read this um, this parable before we get before we run out of time today um, Luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 8 guys please mark this down during your daily 20 speaking of disciplines in your life here at here at North Place we practice a discipline called the daily 20 um, it's a basic commitment that we all make to one another that we're going to spend five minutes in worship five minutes in prayer five minutes in Bible reading five minutes listening to God and the reason we do that is because it fosters the discipline of 
of uh, spirituality uh, in our lives. During your daily 20 this week, I want you to I want you to go back and read Luke 18 and then interestingly enough go read Matthew 18 because it's really cool what what um, uh, especially the first part, the first uh, story there in Matthew 18. Um, Jesus took people in culture and society that would have been the most marginalized, the most minimized, who people would have said had the least voice and least impact, and he elevated them, both in Matthew 18, which he talked about children, and then in Luke, which we're going to read right now. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, in Luke 18... The first parable and the second parable are the only times that parables, when the parables were written, that the explanation of the parable was given in the beginning. That's really fascinating to me because most of the time a parable was given and you were kind of left to figure out, hey, this is what he's talking about. But this time he wanted it to be so clear that he said, this is exactly what the parable is about, that you would always pray and not give up. So he said this to them. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. Imagine that. Government officials who don't care what people think and don't fear God. It's not a, I'm not making a political statement. Anywhere in the world, you can imagine that scenario. That was the scenario of their day. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus tells a parable about one of the lowest people in culture and society, a widow, of lowest significance, who has no one to advocate for her. As a female, she would have had no voice. And without a husband, she would have had no one to advocate for her. She would have been completely destitute. And here is this judge who represented the greatest power in their culture at that time, who didn't love God, didn't care about God, didn't care about people. And yet he was brought to his knees because of a nagging widow. And Jesus said, be like that. Let your prayer life be like that. Matthew 18, which we'll go read later, Jesus said he took children as an example, the lowest station of society, thought worthless, thought without a voice. Jesus said, be like that. Why? Because they're audacious when they approach the father. Be like the widow because she's persistent when she prays. You made this statement earlier 
We made it when we were talking this week. Our hope cannot be confined to what we see in the natural. That widow had every reason to give up and quit. And yet Jesus said, be, be like the widow. Don't be confined to what we see in the natural. Talk to us about our prayer life and not being confined to what we see in the natural. When we're confined to what we see in the natural, guys, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. I'm looking at some of our situations, and you're not you're not seeing movement. You know, sometimes it's easy to maintain hope when you see movement. Well, I can see Lauren that you've done a little bit. I love stories in the Bible where people change God's mind. And they're there. They're there. And they're some of my favorite. Where the people are like, please, God, please, God. And he's like, oh, all right. You know, we have kids. Kids do that to us. I have four lawyers. They don't have law degrees yet. No, they don't have law degrees yet. But I don't stand a chance because I'm not persistent like that. They get that from somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> I, my parents said no. I said, okay. Hmm. I do not have one like that. <laughs> they have worn me so down. But I can see why God uses those kinds of things in scripture. Be the nagging one. Be the nagging one. And it's not in my nature. Because I don't like to be a bother. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have that personality. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a bother. But it's God. You can be a bother with God. Mm. Because you're never a bother with God. And it's okay. It's okay because sometimes, sometimes even when he has said something, you can change his mind. So keep on praying. Even when it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. We got situations. I don't even know how he's going to do it. But fortunately, I don't have to know because I'm not God. You know, that's the beautiful thing. Sometimes we have trouble trusting God. But for me, it's like this huge burden off of me because I don't have to worry about it. How beautiful is that? We don't have to worry about it. We pray and we leave it there. And that's another great thing. I feel like for me, and I just want to encourage you, and we do in the Daily 20 encourage you, when you write it down, there's almost an, an, an act, there's a, a, a symbolism mm. there. If I've put it here, and then I can close that journal, and I can go out about my day. God, you, you, it's right here. You can see it. I can see it. We can all see it. We know it's been said. We know it's been prayed over. Let's go on about our day. We can leave it there. We'll revisit it in the morning. And then we'll revisit it again the next morning. And the next morning and the next, if we need to. 
going to be an egg. I'm going to try not to be an egg. God doesn't mind. You know, that that uh, parable, because we're not Greek speakers or Hebrew speakers and we really don't understand first century Jewish mentality, that it really is Jesus using humor and extremes uh, to make a point. In that day, uh, that thought of the nagging widow, the nagging mother, it would it, Jesus was actually being funny. And I know we, we just read that in English all these years later and we don't understand it. But Jesus was taking this extreme example of the nagging widow to really help us, help his, the people who would have been listening to understand really the, the heart of God is so different than the judge who doesn't love you and care about you. In fact, in the, in the story, Jesus is saying, how much more does the father who loves you and care about you, how much more will he be moved by your persistence than this judge who doesn't care what people think and doesn't care about anybody, doesn't even care about God? How much more will God respond to you in your persistence? See, the persistent prayer of hope has the power to enforce the provision of God even in the heart of the king, the heart of the judge, who doesn't even know God or love God. That's the point of the story. The persistent prayer of hope enforces what God says about you, what God has decided about you, how God loves you. Many of us, our theological cages don't have room for the nagging widow. Many of us, our theological cages don't have room for the child who just believes the wildest, most unimaginable things. And yet in Luke 18, Matthew 18, Jesus taking those people who would have been cast aside and puts them up as the example and says, no, be just like that because that persistent nag actually has the power to move what seems unmovable. That wild imagination kid really gets what's possible. Be like that. The way I want us to end this conversation um, today, Desra, is, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you this before, but I want to ask you to pray over us, to pray over us as a church body. I, I've watched your prayer life for 27 years. I've watched your prayer life when times were good, and I've watched your prayer life when times were bad. And I haven't read your journals because you haven't invited me to read your journals. But I, I honestly um, come to tears thinking about it, and, and even was today because I knew I was going to bring this up. One day, I think... Our kids are going to um, have those journals. And our story, our kids and our, our kids' kids and their kids, um, they're going to have that because you wrote it down. And I think there's a revelation that you have about prayer and about a discipline of prayer that we need. And what I love about you one of the most incredibly attractive things to me about you and has been since the first time I met you is that you're just this person, a whimsy 
that has hope um, even though you at the same time are wrestling with really hard things. And I think that's something that we need as a body. And so I want to ask you to pray over us as a church because I believe to use a really spiritual word, churchy word, I feel like um, we need some sort of impartation of this, um, really this truth that you live out. So I want to ask you to pray over us. And church, I'm going to ask you that as she prays over us, just posture your heart in a place of receiving from the Lord this morning. Because I think, I think God is teaching us something about how hope is connected to prayer and how prayer is connected to hope. They're, they're like linked to one another. And some of us are hopeless and, and we're hopeless because our prayer life really isn't, it isn't disciplined or it's limited by uh, an imagination, maybe an imagination that's caged with theology or an imagination that's maybe caged through um, circumstances or situations. Um, and I think the Lord wants to open that cage this morning. So Desiree, would you, would you pray for us? God, I thank you for every person that's in this room. God, as I look across the congregation today, I know how much I love these people. And so I can only imagine how much you do. And Lord, I pray that From the person who doesn't even really remember to pray most days to the person who's up with me every morning praying. For myself, Lord, that we would each one have a fire lit under us about the importance of what it is to come to you each and every day in prayer. And Lord, for some of us, maybe our parents have carried us in prayer. Maybe our grandparents have covered, carried us in prayer. Maybe for some people sitting in this room, it's other people in this room that are carrying them in prayer. But I ask for each one of us, myself included, that you would just begin to spark something, that there would just be this, this something that's drawing us each and every day, hey, come spend time with me. Come spend time with me. You have this need. All you need to do is ask. Mm. All you need to do is ask. For some of us, the enemy has convinced you that it doesn't even do any good to ask. That is a lie. Ask. Holy Spirit, help us to have the boldness and the faith to ask, what is it you want to do? How is it you want to move? When we wake up in the morning to pray or in the afternoon or the evening, whenever it works out for us, Lord, please help us to come to you and say, God, what is it you want me to pray for? What is it that I'm not seeing that you want me to see? What are the mountains that I see, but also what are the mountains that I don't see that you want to move? You want to move on my behalf. Holy Spirit, I pray, ignite us. Ignite the fervency. 
we humble ourselves and we pray. We humble ourselves and we pray. What is it you want to do? God, I spoke about the scales earlier. Take the scales off of our eyes. Open these cage doors. For those of us who came in and we have a closed-minded idea of what it is you want to do in our lives or how you want to work, make it stop. In the name of Jesus, scales fall off. In the name of Jesus, cage doors open up. Let us see the possibilities of what it is when we pray the prayers you want us to pray. Let us see the possibilities of when we're praying in the spirit, things we don't even know, but your spirit does. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give us discipline. For those of us where we lack discipline, maybe we need to do it in the mornings, but we have a hard time getting out of bed. I pray that you would wake us up. For those of us that maybe the afternoon's the best time, I pray, Lord, that rather than get on our phone or, or take a nap or read a book, Lord, we would, we would be drawn to you. Holy Spirit, draw us to you. Throughout our day, Lord, when we're driving, draw us, draw us. Let us pray. Let us pray with zeal. What is it you want to do? God, you want to do something. You want to move the mountains. Lord, I pray that you would just help us. Help us to be people of faith, people who trust that you do what you say you're going to do, and that hope would arise. God, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Father, thank you uh, for each one that is here. Thank you for what you've spoken to us. Lord, there are some words that just fire us up, uh, that encourage us. And then there are some words, Lord, where you call us deeper and you call us into maturity. And I believe this is meant to be one of those words that does both. It fires us up to believe for the impossible. Uh, it opens the cage and causes us to see that we have freedom, uh, but it also calls us to maturity. And maturity is, is discipline, it's uh, persistence. It's continuing when it seems impossible. So, Lord, I ask you this week, may you call us to prayer. May you call us to prayer. May we be people of prayer. Lord, bless the work of your hands, of your people, in everything they do and everything they touch. May they walk in and know the favor of the Lord, even when the, even when the kingdom of this world is stacked against them. And the, the wicked judge doesn't even know you or love you or care about you. May your people walk in the favor of God because we are your children. And even those whose hearts are stubborn towards you will confess that you are a God who's mindful of the needs of your people and you will not, you will not leave their request unanswered. Lord, may that be the journey of your people this week. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.